One of them was arrested, and the other was brutally murdered. Mother Jones was called the Miner's Angel for her vigorous support of miners' strikes, her fierce opposition to child labor, and her consoling presence at mine disasters. A month before the steel strike in August 1919 in Homestead, Pennsylvania, Mother Jones was arrested for addressing a large crowd on 8th Avenue. And on August 26, 1919, Fanny Sellens and Joseph Starleski were murdered by coal company guards on a picket line in Brackenridge, Pennsylvania. Sellens was a United Mine Workers of America organizer, and Starleski was a miner. These stories come to us today from Charlie's Monday Marker, hosted by Dr. Charles McCollister and produced by the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Charlie's Monday Marker delves into the fascinating stories behind the more than 60 historical markers listed in labor history sites in the Pittsburgh region, a book authored by Dr. McCollister and Howard Scott in 2016 and published by Allegheny County Labor Council. Also on today's show, the 1934 Filipino lettuce workers strike and the man you've probably never heard of, but should have. That's all coming up on Labor History Today. I'm Chris Garlock. Here's the show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1934. That was the day 7,000 white and Filipino lettuce workers in California's Salinas Valley walked out on strike. Salinas was the lettuce capital of the world. The division of labor in the valley was largely ethnically based. Filipinos did much of the field labor, while whites worked in the packing sheds. At the time, Filipinos made up 40% of the total agricultural workforce in the Salinas Valley. They had founded the Filipino Labor Union a year earlier. White packing shed workers had organized into the AFL's Vegetable Packers Association. While the VPA had been reluctant to work with the FLU, they now sought to join forces in strike action. Both unions agreed neither would return to work until both had achieved victory. Together, they demanded wage increases, union recognition, and better working conditions. Losing $100,000 a day, the growers soon imported scabs of all races. They enlisted the California Highway Patrol to arrest striking Filipinos on incitement and vagrancy charges. Soon, the VPA agreed to arbitration, leaving the FLU to continue the strike alone. Some speculated the members were threatened with the loss of their charter if they refused to return to work. The striking Filipino workers continued to organize job actions and experienced increased retaliation as a result. VPA leaders publicly distanced themselves from the Filipino strikers and racially charged vigilante violence intensified. It culminated in the burning down of the labor camp where hundreds of Filipino workers lived a month after the strike began. Vigilantes then drove as many as 800 Filipinos from the valley at gunpoint. The strike was officially called off and those that remained returned to work. By October, both unions had won wage increases.
Welcome to the Battle of Homestead's uh, Monday Markers program. We are going to talk about two markers, Mother Jones and Homestead and Fanny Sullins and Arnold, PA. Uh, these two heroic women were active, very active in the 1919 steel strike or leading up to it. And both of them forcefully asserted their civil liberties, their right to speak and assemble and organize without governmental or corporate permission. Mother Jones and Fanny Sullins were lifelong champions of labor, selfless organizers, articulate and heroic women who confronted the overwhelming power of the Carnegie U.S. Steel Corporation in the industrial valleys of Western Pennsylvania. In August 1919, one of them was arrested and the other was brutally murdered. Mother Jones was called the Miner's Angel for her vigorous support of miners' strikes, her fierce opposition to child labor, and her consoling presence at mine disasters. A month before the steel strike in August 19 in Homestead, Mother Jones was arrested for addressing a large crowd on 8th Avenue, uh, preparing them for the coming strike. When she was told by the judge uh, that she needed a permit to speak, she famously replied that she indeed had a permit signed by Patrick Henry Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams. She was jailed nonetheless. The day after Mother Jones' court appearance for unpermitted speech, Fanny Sullins, uh, the articulate female labor organizer, considered by many to be the successor of Mother Jones, as the coal miners, uh, one of their major spokespersons and organizers, was murdered in cold blood by corporate thugs with the full complicity of the Allegheny of Allegheny County. Recently, on August 26, 2019, the, the centenary, 100 people gathered for a three-part commemoration uh, on the centennial of her assassination. The first was a community commemoration uh, in Natrona Heights, uh, where she was killed. The second at the steelworkers local that she was attempting to organize. And the third at a very moving mine worker uh, commemoration in the evening at her grave um, in Arnold Cemetery. Fanny Sullins had led a year-long strike of garment workers in St. Louis, and after that, in 1912, she was hired and brought to Western Pennsylvania as a United Mine Worker Organizer. She supported Union miners and their families during strikes and lockouts, explosions, cave-ins, and joblessness. She described her work as the distribution, quote, of clothing and food to starving women and babies, to assist poverty-stricken mothers and bring children into the world, and to minister to the sick and close the eyes of the dying. Forbidden by court injunction to speak on behalf 
of uh, <clears throat> striking miners in Colliers, West Virginia. F Fanny asserted her American rights and refused to be silenced. She was jailed in 1916 after speaking at a miners' rally, uh, offered her freedom if she promised not to return to Colliers, West Virginia. She replied, I am free. I have a right to walk or talk any place in this country as long as I obey the law. I've done nothing wrong. The only wrong they can say that I've done is to take shoes to the little children in Colliers who needed shoes. And when I think of their bare little feet with the cruel blast of winter, it makes me determine that if it be wrong to put shoes on those little feet, then I will continue to do wrong as long as I have hands and feet to crawl to Collier's. It's significant that the memory of Fanny Sullins and her sacrifice has been preserved from below, from the grassroots, not by academic historians. Her story resides in the memory of the community, in local steelworkers and coal miners. William Z. Foster, who had success in organizing the meatpacking industry and was the steel strike organizer on behalf of the American Federation of Labor, called Fanny Sullins the most effective organizer in the Pittsburgh region. Fanny Sullins was shot and brutally beaten in Natrona Heights when she intervened as a group of coal mine deputies were beating Union miner Joseph Strzelewski to death. Sullins was shot twice in the back and then clubbed. Her head was crushed by a club. Deputies danced over her bodies and celebrated in front of a crowd, but no one was arrested for the murder. Philip Murray, who was in the process as district mine worker organizer uh, in the process of move, moving Fanny Sullins from his UMW District 5 staff to the American Federation of Labor's steel industry organizing effort when she was murdered. He erected a stunning 12-foot-high grave marker for Sullins and Joseph Starzaleski, the mine worker picket, and it depicted a woman leaning in sorrow against a cross with mine worker written poetry and the epitaph. They fell a victim to the lust of greed. They whose blood ran hot with labor's need. They foully murdered. August 28, 1919. On the first anniversary of the death of Fanny Sullins, 10,000 people were in attendance at the dedication of the statue that marked the two graves of Fanny 
and Joseph Starzaleski. In labor's glorious history was many a union made Who stood up to the bosses so staunch and unafraid Molly Jackson, Mother Jones fought for a better way But let's sing of Fanny Sellens and remember her today All over Pennsylvania, Fanny spread the union word In the coal fields and the company towns, her voice of hope was heard United we will bargain, but divided we must beg and spread the dreams of the UMWA. A widow with four children, 28 hours a week, found time to fight injustice and bring power to the meek. She fought with tireless energy, no duty would she shirk. Though murderers got short her life, we carry on her work. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1963. That was the day one of the most important stands for justice and equality took place in United States history. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech to a quarter million people in Washington, D.C. But did you know that one of the main organizers for the march was a man by the name of Baird Rustin? Rustin is often left out of the history books because he was gay and because of his earlier communist affiliations. He was born in 1912 and raised in Westchester, Pennsylvania. He was raised in the Quaker tradition, and his commitment to peaceful, nonviolent protest continued into the Civil Rights Movement. Rustin joined the Young Communist League in the 1930s, a time when communist organizers were some of the few people actively speaking out about racial injustice in the United States. After he left the Young Communist League, Rustin spent a brief time as an organizer for a march on Washington, D.C., planned in the 1940s. This movement was led by one A. Philip Randolph. The planned march was aimed at putting pressure on President Franklin Delano Roosevelt to desegregate work at industries with federal wartime manufacturing contracts. When President Roosevelt agreed to issue an order desegregating these jobs, the planned march was called off. But the idea for the march lived on and became a reality during the civil rights movement. Rustin went on to work in the labor movement. He became the founder and first director of the AFL-CIO's A. Philip Randolph Institute, which focuses on tearing down the walls of discrimination in workplaces and within the labor movement. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. That's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. We hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app, where you can also spread the word by liking and following us. As always, thanks so much for listening. Do let us know what you think, comment, or email us. Labor History Today is produced by the Metro Washington Council's Union City Radio and the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlick. Thanks for listening. Keep making history and see you next time.